Hey, another beautiful morning. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about beauty. And beauty is God. That's what beauty is. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the beauty of God and His attributes. His attributes, and you think of creation. You think of um, His power, for instance. And the greatness of God and such. And that was one thing we looked at. And then we looked at even a more direct way of seeing God's beauty. And that was what we looked at last week. And that's in the person of Jesus. And uh, that's God manifested in His Son. And He is the very radiance of God. God being that very brightness and, of course, Christ radiating from Him. The outshining rays that come here to earth and mankind. And so we looked at the beauty of Christ and we saw some uh, things that uh, remind us of the beauty of Jesus, such as the light of the world. We looked at that last week. The rock, Moses' rock, as the water poured forth. What beauty it is to come to a dry desert to thirsty people and to see that water just coming to um, His thirsty people. Then we saw Him as a spiritual Son. And uh, we saw the diverse excellencies of the Lion and the Lamb. How much diverse can you get? A Lion and a Lamb. And yet He's both of those as we uh, looked in Revelation chapter 5. So that was some of the elements dealing with the beauty of Christ, the beauty of God, and... uh, Now we uh, continue that theme of beauty for one more week here as we get ready for uh, Resurrection Day. Um, I guess you have what's called the Passion Week this week. Sufferings of Christ and, of course, His death and the burial and then the resurrection. We get to ponder upon that all week long. and We want to take a step higher this week on this mountain to take one more look go up one more level of this supreme, majestic beauty of God. And the object that we're going to focus on is something that you wouldn't ordinarily think on as being necessarily beautiful. It's not normally what you would think as being something that is beautiful. God communicates His beauty through Jesus Christ And Christ then communicates Himself to His body here on earth. That body is us as individuals, as the whole body of Christ united together. And that is how He has manifested Himself here today. We know in the Old Testament He showed Himself in visions, in dreams, in prophecies, angels, angel of the Lord, types and symbols in many various ways as it says in Hebrews 1. And in these last days He has shown Himself through the Son. And then we continue that a little bit further because He has an image of the Son who exists here because the Son resurrected and ascended and He is in the in the very... Uh, throne room of God. He is God. He sits at the right hand of the majesty of God. And so, His physical body that raised is there 
And so now he has a body that is here on earth. It's called the church. So he's not visibly here. Uh, He had a tabernacle in the wilderness. And then later a temple was built. He resided there. And then Jesus came in flesh. And he actually resided in him. Uh, He was. That is him. And yet at the same time, here He is now manifesting His very beauty through us. The Spirit of God indwells God's people. The saints are God's jewels. We are God's jewels. We are the beauty that's here on the earth. The ornaments of the Savior. That's what we are. We are a living manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ living in this realm, providing a picture to all of the people the Savior for a world who's in us. And, of course, the world does not have sight of Him unless their eyes are open. So what we want to do, let us continue on with this study and get a glimpse. Are you ready to get another glimpse? Just kind of reach up a little bit higher and see the person of God. And now it's going to be through this surprising thing, the church, as we focus on that today, the ecclesia. That means the called out ones called out from sin and darkness, called out from death, really, spiritually we were dead, called us out, and He put us into this body. That's an amazing thing, the ecclesia. And it says in Ephesians chapter 3, 8 through 12, this is kind of the basis scripture that we're on today. We'll be going through many of them. To me, the very least of all saints, Paul says, Ephesians 3, 8, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And here we go, watch. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Why? So that the manifold wisdom that's multifaceted multicolored, the manifold wisdom of God, here we go, might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has a secret, something that was hidden for thousands of years, and then He decides to reveal it through the person of Christ, and that the wisdom of God would be known through the church. We are the one that proclaims the beauties of God today. And so the even the heavenly beings, the rulers and authority in the heavenly places, don't even know this secret, and now they look at the church who proclaims these excellencies. So, the manifold wisdom. Let's have our understanding expanded today on how beautiful this church is, the body of Christ, worldwide. Think on that. And I know sometimes it doesn't look very pretty. But God is doing a work, and I'll tell you what, He's transforming His people through the Word of God. And as we look at the Word of God, may we be built up a little more on this precious subject. Let's go to the Lord. Father, bless this Word today. It's Your holy Word. And may we take this seriously. As You have explained, 
what this object is, this church. It's something that is yours. And it's something that you are desiring to draw attention to. And you use this this medium, this means, the church, to exhibit your grand, splendid majesty in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, about the beauty of the church, is that it's a glorious society. It's glorious. A glorious society. The church is the prized belonging of the Lord. Let me tell you, there is nothing like it in all the earth. There's never been anything like the church. This institution, God has made institutions. What an amazing thing the church is. It transcends all other things. And you think of uh, the new creation. Individuals are new creations. And you take this one man, this man uh, that now exists here is, is the church, the body. And it's a mystical body of Christ. And the church exists, as does all of creation, and we, we saw that the very first week. And, and But we transcend. The church transcends all other things in reflecting the goodness, the holiness, the majesty, the beauty of God. The church is the one that manifesteth the most. More than the rocks and the trees and all the flowers that are blooming and the grasses. Achoo! <laughs> I don't know if you guys have any of that problem this week. Some of you had. I know some of you have. Tell me about it. It's uh, caused uh, by a uh, sin. Uh, curse the sin. <laughs> has happened here. Uh, one day, that will not be. Uh, but the church is a lasting physical manifestation of the very glory of God. The church manifests that today, right here on earth. It exhibits the very beauty of our Lord puts on display, and this is a dark world. And yet that's what we're doing. Have you ever thought of it that way? As we go through the mundane things of the world, we live in a realm uh, that we have discovered true beauty. True beauty. Everybody has their ideas of beauty, and we've been, we've been talking about that. And of course, the world has its idea of beauty, and sometimes we get mistaken what beauty is. But beauty really finds its source in God Himself. He is beauty. That is where it comes from, and anything outside of Him is really... Uh, not beautiful. It, it all comes from Him. We know our source of, of this beauty. So what we are to do is to find our calling in actually joining with God in His self-glorification. He's here to glorify Himself. And we're to join in with Him to glorify Him. And this church is the grandest thing that He has. It, we are the best thing that He has to glorify Him. We are the best thing that He has to glorify Him in all the universe. And we're talking all of mankind. Uh, that is a grand creation. It's the grandest of all the creation. We know that. But then these ones that He's called out of the world and out of the universe to put together to glorify Him. And that's getting a select few. Few there be that find it. Many are called, few are chosen. When I say few, when we, when we get there though, we will be amazed how many will be there. <laughs> there will be more than we can even imagine. But that's the, the privileged blessings that, that we have. What's the purpose of human life? Well, we're right at it today. God's purpose is for His chosen people 
who were once sinners in a really dark world, still is dark, but by our very nature, we know where we were at, and now we are to consciously put on display the very glorious perfections and excellencies of the Creator of the universe. That's why we exist. It finally boils down to that, isn't it? Glorious perfections, His excellencies. They need to be known. If they're that good, they sure need to be broadcasted. When you hear good news, which is not too much if you turn on your TV, right? It's not really good news. We have the good news of the glorious God, the happy, blessed God. And we have the news about Him. And uh, so we want Him to be seen by us proclaiming these excellencies. And uh, that's dealing with His power. And think of creation and and, uh, that. The very first week we talked about that. Think of His wisdom. What wisdom it took to make all the things that He did. As you you know, look at just creation and more things that you see, you're astounded. And His goodness, right? You don't want that to lie dormant. There's nothing like Him. And so we want it to be seen. And so we are a glorious society of created beings. And as it said in our Ephesians 3 passage, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, that His wisdom would be known through us. What a, what a precious privilege it is. You know, He's used, a, he's used rocks. We, we laughed about that last week. And I had Carmel along with Penny now because I found out she has a fascination with rocks too. We talked about the plain rock of Moses and then it turned into a beautiful thing with water coming out for the thirsty. Well, God shows His beauty in those rocks. Certain people um, appreciate Him more than others. <laughs> and and if it came from God, we, we should be glorifying Him. And then you think of the rocks in the Grand Canyon. You go, oh yeah, that is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah. Trees, the oceans, the mountains, oh my, you just think of all the grand creation. And he wanted his perfection to be known through those. But, you know, we transcend anything that you can think of that you've seen out in the creative world. Uh, this is where mankind finds his reason for existence. Our purpose is to know, to sense the very excellencies and the perfections of God. To know and sense that we are a people of God. And we are dedicated to adoring Him. Adoring Him. We are a glorious society designed to especially love and adore. This is where we are most satisfied when we are praising Him, glorifying Him, worshiping Him. And then when God's people come together in this way, we see it a little bit more. It's a beautiful thing for people to come together and have a common purpose, have that common purpose, and do it together. It means even more than just by yourself, doesn't it? Yeah. A plug for the church. I love the church. You guys love the church? We should love the church because it's Christ's body. If you love Christ, you love the church. You have to love the church. You can say, I don't see so many beautiful things in the church. That's okay. God does. Start looking at the things that He's doing in that church. 
And he had, you know, it's not perfect yet. I and mean, we'll get into that. But, you know, we have a reason. We, we have a mission to actually celebrate and magnify his goodness in this foreign, hostile world that's hate, that hates Christ and Christianity. And Christians, as they're being singled out more and more all the time. That's one thing. That was number one. A glorious society. So, you're a part of it. So I've never been a part of a club or any society in my life. Like, oh, society, that sounds kind of strange. I don't know about that. We are part of it. Whatever you want to call it, you're a part of it. And a very important part. You are. Oh, now we get into the second part and we can identify with this. We are imperfect embryos. Imperfect. We are not perfect here on earth. That means God is doing something now with us. Now, we're dealing with the body. And we know that there was the tabernacle, temple. And then Jesus Himself was the tabernacle or temple. And in John 2, He even related that to uh, some people. I don't know if they really got it or not. Um, Jews are saying that he's made a statement in verse 20. It says, uh, it took 46 years to build this this temple. It's a grand temple. Amazing. Spectacular. The splendor of this temple was was tremendous in, in Jerusalem. It took 46 years to build this temple. And, and uh, will you raise it up in three days? So she, yeah, right. You're going to raise this temple. I mean, you're going to destroy it and then raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He's talking about resurrection. So as we think about resurrection this week, we realize that, yeah, he was talking about his death, his burial, and then his resurrection on the third day of rise again. So that temple... He was a walking temple here. Uh, he made, God made His presence in the tabernacle. You know, the, we think of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and um, that area in, in the tabernacle all the way to the very back. He was the, uh, really the very presence there to them. And here's Christ now, a walking temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as the church is being formed. Paul starts talking about each individual and how each individual has gifts and you have unity and diversity. Well, you hear that all the time. I went to a training this week dealing with diversity and it's actually you know, pretty important. It was diversity. This time, you know, it's, I'm not talking about sexual diversity there and, of course, all the... the, the same-sex marriage and all that, and you, you fear that, uh-oh, that's, that's going to be taught there. But this time it was dealing people with, you know, whether it be handicaps, uh, physical um, uh, disabilities, that kind of thing, um, which is, you know, good to know about that. And, and you have everything that you can imagine in the church. How diverse it is. That's true diversity. You want to study diversity, all we have to do is look at the church and how people from every tribe and tongue every nation all over the world, and they are one. They're unified, yet they're so different in so many different things, but they're one. 
uh, in 1 Corinthians 12.27, says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Jesus was the temple. He was that body. And now he said, Okay, I'm going to leave a body here, and it's my body, but this is a different entity. Uh, It's uh, people. That's his body. Quite a mystery. The body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence. You can't see Christ walking here, but His body is walking here. The Holy Spirit is in this temple. You look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, in God's Word, we get some really good analogies where we can understand high, lofty, spiritual things, things that are hard to understand. And God stoops down, uses analogies that we can understand, whether it be agrarian terms, Soils he talks about, right? Seeds, things that people knew about, and then he's here. He's talking about uh, this mysterious body, and Peter relates this to us. First Peter two five. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. No longer do we go to the temple because we are the temple. The body of Christ is the temple. We offer up spiritual sacrifices, no longer the animals. And we are a spiritual house. So this building that we come in, it's just that. It's just a building. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing in a building in itself that makes it spiritual except the people who are in it. So it's a special thing to come into a place of God, but it just means that's where we happen to meet. I'm glad we have a uh, place to meet here today and to have running water and electricity out there today. I'm really pleased to have that. Thank you, Lord. Um, we're a spiritual, spiritual building and it's a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Peter related uh, that very well to us there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, lives in you, He sticks around in you, By the way, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. You are holy. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And then we uh, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. These are good passages dealing with we are the temple and the Holy Spirit lives in us. 1 Corinthians chapter what? Chapter 3. And in 2 Corinthians, and you multiply 3 times 2, and 2 Corinthians is 2, right? It's chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay. Those are good ones to uh, kind of memorize, have in mind, in case you need to be reminded for yourself or to tell somebody. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols. For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, God said this, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He's our God. Our God is with us. 
We are His people. He says the temple of the living God. God said that. And of course that was an Old Testament quote. (laughs) It came to pass, didn't it? It's happening right before our eyes. God Himself is the architect. He's the designer. He's the one who is the builder of this temple. He's building this temple right today. Just as you sit here today, right now, going on. This is happening. And so we look in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to tell you, there are a lot of verses dealing with this temple, this church, the local church, the body of Christ universal. It's an amazing thing. What an institution. There's nothing like it ever. One of the grand, the grandest thing that God has designed. Think of it. You're part of it. You're part of this institution. A main cog in it, I'm telling you. Uh, what did I say? Ephesians 2, 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now you are an individual temple, but yet you're part of this temple that is being built up. It's not done yet. God is not finished. He has more stones to put in to this building and it will finally come to its consummation. That's where He's headed. And so what a building this is. The grand architect of the universe is building something even better. This is the church. A glorious thing. It's his building. First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine says he owns it. He's the one who came up with the plan, the architect. He built it. He's building it. He owns it. I mean, he's everything to this. First Corinthians three nine. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He uses different thoughts there. Hey, hey, you you are our fellow workers in this ministry and on planting and watering and that kind of thing, as he's been saying there. And then he says, uh, you're actually you're God's field. Um, you're God's building. That means he owns the building. He owns the field. Um, he he's the one that puts us in there. He's the master builder. He's talking about a foundation. <laughs> Boy, he knows how to build, doesn't he? He knows what he's doing. What I want to do now is go back to the Old Testament whenever they started building the first temple. And Solomon is the one in charge there. And there are many people that are going to build this physical building, the temple, which is really a picture of what is finally going to come, this building that we now call the spiritual temple. But here is a real physical temple back in 1 Kings 
chapter 6, verse, around verse 7. David couldn't build the temple because he was a man of war, a man of blood, but he did have his son to be a part of this building of it. And so we pick it up in verse 7. God has His plan on the way that it's going to come about and He reveals that to him to every little detail. And it's amazing that He would he would uh, put out a plan and then say, okay, and, and we actually get to read about this. You know? That we get to see it. But, uh, verse 7, The house, while it was being built, look at this, while it was being built, was built of stone, prepared at the quarry, now that's a key phrase. It was prepared at the quarry. Not at the temple. A lot of times you have the cutting and that kind of thing going on right there on the same grounds. No, not not here. The temple is being built. Everything is going to be done. It's going to be hewn and prepared. Everything that it needs uh, away from there. And there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. No noises there. Things are going to be done beforehand and then up goes that holy temple. All of it will be ready to go with. The temple represents ultimately the church of God. A spiritual house, a spiritual temple, Christ being the cornerstone, the apostles, the very foundation. It's being built, being built, it's being built. The saints come into it. The saints are the stones being put into this temple. What an illustration. We are stones. Now I get it. I know why you ladies like stones so much. Now the stones are becoming very beautiful to me. (laughs) Because those stones are us. Wow. Those things are great illustrations. Great conversation pieces. Oh, you like those rocks, do you? Let me tell you where they came from. I'll tell you what they really represent, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The saints are the many stones that are in it. You know what? Here we go now. You can say, well, what was the deal about the the stones being prepared at the court? By the way, those are huge pieces that go in there. How did they ever get them there? How did they ever get those huge stones? Massive, massive rock that they took there to the temple. The Lord fitted His church for heaven. That's what he's doing now. He's fitting the church for eternal life to spend with him, new heavens and new earth. And he's taking the same care and the same precision as he would compare that to the Israelite craftsmen. God brought on people to make things of the temple. And of course, to the way that they had the fitting and the squaring and the smoothing of those stones. He had craftsmen who were talented. They had abilities, gifts to be able to hew those stones perfectly the way that he wanted to construct that great temple of the Lord. And they were exact in that. And 
Then those stones were brought there. And you say, well, what are you getting at? Are you, are you catching this? He's perfecting the saints for glory when it's ultimately done. And when they get there, there won't be any kind of noise of that kind of stuff going on. There will be no more building of the temple once it's in heaven. The new heavens and the new earth. New Jerusalem. The building has been done. No more will we have the hammer put to us. Where we have today, we have the hammer of afflictions and suffering and going through this kind of life that kind of hurts. It's hard. Life is hard. God is good. He knows what He's doing. He's putting this temple together, folks. And He's not going to prepare anything in heaven. He's preparing it now. And that's what He's doing to you. So what's going on? (laughs) He's using the hammer. And you could look down through 2,000 years where there has been persecution to the church. There has been afflictions that have just been phenomenal. You can read about it here with Paul, the rest of the apostles, the very early church. Then there's a time of, of peace. And usually the church really really gets lazy whenever there is not any of that kind of affliction going on. And, and so what happened? You had the dark ages for a thousand years. And then came the Reformation. And then along came persecution again. Because people were preaching the Word of God and they were being killed for it. And so it has been since then. And now the Muslims are doing it worldwide as they are killing people by the droves. I mean, the church is aided by religions and and much of the world. But um, God says, I know what I'm doing. doing. (laughs) That's right. That's right. We are lively stones. Lively stones. I think there's a church here in town there was. It's called the Lively Stone. That's pretty good. It's biblical. Lively Stone Church. Glorious buildings are... They have exactly fitted framed, polished stones as they do that. And in this case, the time of Solomon, that's what was going on. They had them perfectly made and then they were put in and boom, there you go. The church today though is still under construction. You ever been in a construction zone? Well, for one thing, you look at that construction zone, you see all sorts of signs and kind of Dust and dirt and some rocks just all over the place. And then you see that building and you go, boy, that, that's going to be really, really something. That's going to be amazing. You know? And, of course, lately what? Uh, we saw St. Mary's Hospital. You couldn't miss it sitting on a hill. You know? Kind of reminded me of a city set on a hill. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you, you look at that and, boy, it had a long way to go. But you, you could see what it could possibly be. And it was finally finished. But until that time, it it still had a long long way to go, and you could tell it, and you know it, it wasn't ready to uh, be presented. Uh, people weren't going into it yet, but um, they were doing a thing. But we are like an imperfect embryo. We know that we are living and we are lively. Uh, at the same time, we haven't come to the culmination yet. And what God is doing. He's doing Romans 8.29. I like to refer to this passage so much. Because it reminds me what I need to be reminded of every day. 
And verse 29 says, For those whom He foreknew, that means He had a plan beforehand. He also predestined, that means to be predetermined, to become conformed to the image. <clears throat> Guess what? <clears throat> I think I could probably use that. Where are we at? Romans 8, 29. Um, I put an asterisk, I put a star, I put a circle around this verse. I mean, I have it. You need to have it yellow highlighted, and then at the top of your page, just have great big circles and arrows pointing to that verse. Because this is what God did from before the foundation of the world, what He's doing now, which is where we're aiming at. <clears throat> and then you read the rest of the chapter and you, and you see that you are a secure stone in this building and no matter what happens, this is all for Him. God's, God bless it forever. Amen. <clears throat> for those whom He foreknew, He had a relationship with, in, in, in a sense, even though we were never born. We, we're not we're not eternal, but but he is. So, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that he, the son, would be the firstborn or the preeminent one. Not that he was actually born in this. We know that as Jesus, as, as the um, incarnate, Christ. In, incarnate Christ. There we go. Uh, in that sense, but he's always been here. But he he became in in the flesh, right? But this firstborn is not dealing with. He's talking about preeminent. Prototokos is the word there, and that's the idea of that word there. Among many brethren, amongst his his people, that means the reason that we become conformed to the image of the Son is that he would become so preeminent. We can glorify him ultimately when we become like Him and see Him as He... We see Him as He is and we become like Him, like conformed even to this glorious body that He now has. We will give Him glory there like we have never given Him glory here. Our glory here that we give Him, our praise, is tainted. It's tainted with sin. Even when we're at our best, and that means when we're on our knees and being humble before the Lord and confessing our sins, we still have that tainted sin that's still there. Even when we're at our best, there's still sin that we're entangled with. One of these days, we'll be totally in the image of the Son. We will not be Him. We will not be God. But I'll tell you what, being conformed to the image of Christ in its fullest way is going to be something that will knock your socks off. (laughs) That is tremendous, isn't it? And he will rem- he will render his people these stones as holy and beautiful in his sight. Christians, it sometimes can just feel downcast, feel just out and out depressed, and they can even feel guilty. They can feel sinful, beaten by their sufferings as the hammer has been laid to us, and yet the sovereign Lord as He sends these trials, is actually beautifying this body that He has. He knows how many times and what He has to do to beat this, and I use that word loosely, but to to make His people 
ultimately beautiful. And then He's going to have them ready to be put into that ultimate temple. The fullness of Christ. The very fullness of Christ is what we have. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Edifying there. That's, he gives us gifts. Prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So that they would equip the saints so that they'd be built up or edified. That's, that's why we're here today, to be edified, right? Are you being edified? Are you being built up? Word of God should be doing that. Spirit of God doing that. As we just point out the Scripture here. Remind us. And, and here's verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You know what that just said? I want you to dwell on that for a moment. This is what's being done day after day, week after week. It's a grind. It's a grind. Just daily life here on this earth and earth in a uh, sinful world. This is what He's doing. That we would come more and more to a knowledge of the Son of God. That we would know Him more. And that we would come to a mature man. Identifying with a mature man. To, to, to the measure of the stature. To, God has His standard set. That's the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is where everything is headed. It's worth shooting for. It's nice to have some of that right now, right? We are the very image of Christ right now. But we have a veil on. <laughs> We're the bride of Christ. You know, we will be married to Him someday. Until um, that time, He's making us ready. We have the veil on. The rest of the world really doesn't identify us because the veil is on. <laughs> they don't understand. They, don't see, they can't see with that veil on. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. Same book. Chapter 1, verse Look at verse 22. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head, this is Christ, over all things, to the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And then He says, oh, by the way, that's, that's His body. You know, the church, which is His body, which is what? The fullness of Him who fills all in all. When we got the Spirit of Christ put into us to dwell here, we didn't get uh, a 1% of Christ and the rest to come. But there is a deposit. There is the Holy Spirit that's, that's promising more to come. But we're saying we are a new creation. It's just like a baby has all of its parts. They just haven't been developed yet before it comes out the womb. Right? has hands and has... Arms and all that stuff, and it comes on. You know, baby comes out. Um, so it is with us. We have the fullness of Christ, but yet hasn't been fully developed in its full form 
But yet, there, we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Even right here, pertaining to life, we have all that we need. That's amazing. So after Christ saves His people, He comes in, He fills them with His Holy Spirit, He satisfies their souls with His love, right? And so the church is actually the very enfleshment, the enfleshment of Christ. Right here, right now. Right here on earth. That's where He's enfleshed at now. Only the amazing God can do something like that. That's a mystery, isn't it? But it has been revealed to an extent. Ephesians is really remarkable. But we've seen a lot of scriptures already dealing with this. We're studying ourselves today as we study God. Let's look at the bride of Christ. That's When you think of a, a bride, she's supposed to be the most beautiful one there that day. Just arrayed in, in her... You know, first of all, you can look at her face. <laughs> and she's more beautiful than anyone just for the fact that she's gleaming and, and nervous and everything too. But there's something about a, a bride that happens to glow. You ever notice that? I mean, And then what they have is a special dress or something that separates them from anybody else. Everybody knows. I mean, they, you know, they are the star that day along with the, the bridegroom. There's an Old Testament picture throughout the Old Testament. God uses Israel as quite a picture for us to look at. And of course, they're kind of referred to as the a wife of God. Uh, the only thing is, Israel failed as the wife of God, and um, as we would too, um, without the fullness of Christ, without the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, is that God had to divorce her, and uh, He did promise that He would come back to restore her. Great picture. Ultimately, the body of Christ. That's grace there too. Of course, you think of the book of Hosea. You think of a lot of other places. Of course, he has ideas of he gives us the idea of the vine, you know. But that idea of being the wife, and in the Old Testament, it speaks about glorious garments. Even uh, the glorious garments of uh, even a, a priest. Uh, of course, you think of the bride, the glorious garments, the elegant clothing. He speaks of jewels. The clothing is made for glory and for beauty, that they reflect God's, God's glory. So what we're going to do is turn back to Exodus, and we'll first look at that. And this is really dealing with a clothing of the priest. And by the way, in the New Testament, we find out we don't have priests anymore. Peter talks about that. This is a this is a holy priesthood. Now we are all priests, and what what is a priest? A priest is the go between. Jesus Christ is the high priest. He is the go between between God and man. He is the one who stands in between. And and now we all have access to God because the Spirit of God now does not reside in the building of the temple, but in each one of us and in the church. And so now we have direct access, as it says in Hebrews, as it says in Ephesians 2, we all have access to the throne room of God. All of the partitions have been broken down. The barriers are knocked down. Whenever the temple had a veil in it and Jesus died on the cross that day, 
not only was there an earthquake and a darkening there, but at the same time the temple ripped from top to bottom. <laughs> no man could have done that from top to bottom. God then opened the way of saying, you now have access to me. We are the priest. We have access. We, I don't represent you. You don't represent me. No man represents you anymore like the priest did. He was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies. And that being once a year, now the veil is torn. We don't have a temple to go to. The temple is here and we go right to God. We are priests. Peter says. A holy priesthood. It was promised in the book of Exodus that there would be a holy, they would be a holy priesthood. We take ourselves right to them. And now we can be access for the lost people to be invited by us to go right into the throne room of God too. And we are the priest representing God to the lost world. Now here's the priest whenever you had the physical temple, physical priest in chapter 28, verse 2. And you think of Aaron and Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. Verse 2. You shall make holy or set apart garments for Aaron, your brother. God is speaking to Moses. For glory and for beauty. That's our key term, isn't it? You make these garments for the priest because it represents glory and beauty. Who is the glorious one? It's God. It represents God. They had these, they stood out. So when people bring their sacrifice to the temple, bring their lamb there, rams, goats, bulls, other kind of sacrifices, they come up to the temple and there were the priests with their holy garment. It was for glory, for beauty. It represented God. They were going to take your sacrifice and take the blood of it and go into the temple on that Holy of Holy Days and your sins would be forgiven. That was representation. That really didn't forgive people's sins, but it was a representation because the only sins that are forgiven really was what was going to happen in the future at the cross. This was just a picture. And that's really how mankind's sins have always been forgiven. People who before the cross say, well, did they ever get their sins forgiven? Well, if they trusted in God with what was revealed to them, yes, because it pointed to the cross. We had a fulfillment of it. We just happened to look back at it. For glory and for beauty, that's what the holy garments do. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 62. Three through five. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you forsaken, nor to your land will it longer be said desolate, but you will be called my delight is in her. His delight is in His people. 
and your land married. For the Lord delights in you. Did you know He takes pleasure in you? I have to really think about that for a moment. What? That's exactly right. He takes pleasure in you. If He made you and then put you into His body, this church, and to live eternally with you, He really takes delight in you. And He is giving you the jewels. He's giving you the precious ornaments, the elegant clothing. And to Him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. He rejoices. God is a God of rejoicing. That's where joy comes from Him. He is joy. Man, that should lift us up immensely that He would take delight in us and rejoice in us. And then I take this verse right up here. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's a God who really is crazy about you. He delights. He really takes pleasure in you. Dennis, is this okay to say in church? (laughs) Absolutely. This is the kind of God we have. He really is a loving God. My. Makes you want to pursue Him more now, doesn't it? That's the idea of all this. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16 and 17. Back in the Old Testament. Getting pretty well near the end of the Old Testament. I'm still turning. Okay, got it. Zechariah 9, 16 and 17. And the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of His people. For they are as the stones, there we go again, of a crown, sparkling in His land. For what comeliness and beauty will be theirs. Grain will make the young men flourish and new wine, the virgins. We're talking in a language they would understand in that society, but he's talking about beauty. Stunning, sparkling stones of a crown. That's that's how he's describing his people. The called out ones. Now the uh, New Testament picture. That's Old Testament. And you see it fulfilled in Ephesians chapter 5. Many times you hear this section done at a wedding. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, just as Christ also loved the church. What a responsibility. Husbands, you love your wives. You self-sacrifice just like Christ did. What did Christ do? Died on the cross for our sins and gave Himself up for her. So He's comparing the bride and He being the bridegroom. 
so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. That He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now that's what's supposed to be happening with the husband and the wife. And it's a picture, really, of something even grander. Christ and His church. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ, there we go again, also does the church, because we are members of His body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, you notice, a man, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, Two, not three, four, five, six. The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. That's really what this was all about, even though it was very practical in our marriage, but look what it's really pointing to. With reference to Christ and the church. The bridegroom and the bride. What a beautiful picture. Christ couldn't take, he can't take an impure wife. He has to have a pure bride, spotless, holy. And yet it's only Him who can do that. It's only Him who can make us spotless and holy as we are sinful people. And at the heart of this all is at the cross. That's always the heart. That's the message, isn't it? And that's what made it possible. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Paul is saying this for the Corinthian church. For I betrothed you to one husband. I, you know, I brought you to Christ. I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Pure. Spotless. Holy. Look in Revelation chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, chapter 19. Did I say 19? I say 9. Chapter 19. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice. What's going on here? This is a wedding. It's a supper. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. This is whiter than white, folks, brighter than any launderer could ever make with the best stuff possible. This you will never you'll never have seen this color when this happens that's given to us and it's representing the righteous acts of the saints. It's the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed with. What are those clothes going to look? I don't know, but we're clothed with Christ, and however that is, it's going to be amazing, and we are going to be beautiful as we stand there with the bridegroom. What a day that will be! And then in Revelation, chapter 21. 
Verse 9, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here. (laughs) I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then you get this great description. This great high mountain, a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and the brilliance is there. And he uses the best analogies, descriptions that he possibly can using the great stones of the earth that have to be dug out and that are so precious. And uh, he uses that kind of thought and it's going to be even much more than what we see here on earth. This is going to be amazing. I'm telling you, we are his, um, we're his bride. Uh, we're the we're the wife of the lamb. <laughs> That's when it's going to finally take place. Well, number four, real quickly, the multitude erupts. Jonathan Edwards and I have been borrowing some of these thoughts here today from him again. God finds satisfaction in His church. He makes, he's the, because He's the one that makes it. And He's the one who causes everything to happen and it was done beautifully by His love. The church is to magnify His happiness and self-satisfaction. We're to magnify Him. Think about the light of the sun reflecting upon the dew or the drops. In Psalm 110.3 it talks about drops and you want to look that up, go right ahead. It's uh, it's, it's good there. We uh, These drops receive and reflect the light that comes from the sun and shines out of, out of the cloud that uh, seems to be darkened. And all of a sudden, these tiny drops of moisture, the sun gleaming on them. I, I, I like to think of whenever there's been ice on the trees and the sun comes out and you, and you go... Oh wow! Look at this. Look at this. get a load of that. You look at the trees and you see the beautiful ice droplets on on the branches. You guys take pictures of those. <laughs> look at this. What a display! That's just a little glimpse of what Edwards talked about when he he was talking about the uh, the moisture drops, uh, the, the dew. We are an exhibit of, of beauty that receive and reflect the very light that comes from God. And we, when we're unified together, can you imagine the magnificence of what this looks like? Number five, church is militant, but it's victorious. The church is militant. This explains what's happening. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Of course, we know we battle not against flesh and blood. We battle against spiritual forces in high places. We battle against them. We battle the enemy. We, of course, we battle ourselves. We have opposition. We have difficulty. And yet, we are beautiful in that opposition because it's intensified. The beauty is intensified whenever we have some struggles and afflictions and opposition because the church down through the ages has never looked more beautiful than when it comes out of such terrible affliction or even persecution. And it looks beautiful. And that's why I so much am amazed by the Reformation of the 1500s 
and the people of the Reformation on into the 1600s that wrote about the Scripture and they magnified a God and lifted Him up like He hadn't been for a long time and put Him where He needs to be. But it was a war. Sometimes the church has been on the brink of disaster. Looks like it's on its last legs. It's not... As a matter of fact, people say, it will end before the time that I die. Or within three decades, the church will be done. You'll hear people that are outside the church say that. After those dark times, God makes the church just flourish gloriously. We're part of that church because Matthew sixteen eighteen, Christ said this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He who knows his sheep by name in John ten thirteen, you know, he'll call them to him. He who wrote their names down before the foundation of the world. They're all a part of this. And so he personally guarantees that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church that he is building because it is his. And the gates of Hades was a Jewish expression really for death. It was the place of the dead. It was the portal into that place. It was death itself. <laughs> the domain of the devil, as we might think about. And I want to tell you, at the cross, Christ broke the power of death. Death was defeated whenever He arose from the grave. Amen. That's what we await for next week to glorify that. Now Christ has broken that power. He has broken down the gates of Hades. The strongest weapon that Satan yields is death, and it's been dealt with. Christ resurrected, and that means it for us too. The gates are a walled city uh, for for a city that has these. It's most vital for their defense. Uh, this, this is their safeguard. If you're any kind of city at all, you had to have the walls at one time. And so Christ's words here are militant. That means the church is militant. And, and you'll see that in Reformation theology uh, uh, mentioned quite a bit. Uh, the church militant, the church triumphant. The church militant is storming the very gates of hell. We're storming the gates of hell. It's not that hell is coming up with its gates and trying to take the gates and beat us. You don't, you don't use gates to go out there. It's talking about we're going into the very abode of where darkness and death is and going in and bringing out victors. We're bringing in the good news. We're bringing in light into the darkness. And guess what? We steal some out of the darkness and bring them into the temple of God. God is the one doing that. So, we storm the very gates of hell. There's been, um, I think, Demon Hunter, uh, Christian group, actually had storming the gates of hell as a CD. Am I right? And that's what this is about. It's right from that passage. Storming the gates of hell, that sounds pretty bad, Dennis. That means we take in the truth and when people don't like it, they, they want to go war against us. Now, it's not that the church is infallible. It's not that the church is error-free. Um, it's not that God promises success and prosperity to every congregation. We're not talking that when we talk about victory. We're talking about the victorious aspect of the church here now. Um, but it does mean that God has made a pledge to the universal body of Christ and that it will win. It's uh, going to be a testimony to... 
the enemies a truth, and God will secure our victory. And there will never be destruction of the church. There never has been and there never will. Take that to the bank. We are secure in that sense. And it's because we have a sovereign hand over it. He's the one that has the blueprint. And if He's God and God is God, He's actually sovereign. He has eternal power. And we've talked about that beautiful power. God owns a church and it's going to happen the way that He planned. Always had planned. His persevering church is an emblem. It's an emblem of Him. We have persevered. We are here. Not anything of our own. But we still persevere individually. The church has persevered 2,000 years. And we are the very means that He uses to showcase His majesty and to exalt the Son. And He holds His people. does that by holding His people in the palm of His hand. In John 10.27, we see that we are His sheep in John 10, then He says the Father has uh, them in His hand and then the Son has them in His hand. We're in the palm of His hand. Take that. Take that, world. The world has never succeeded against the sovereign hand of God. We're in it. He keeps the church going strong. And just to finish with, and I've got a couple of sentences. It's a many-splendored church. Multifaceted. It's not a building. It's not a structure of physical materials. It's a mystical body of Christ. The people are, who are in this church are so diverse. They have the highest privilege known to mankind. You have the highest privilege that anyone could ever have. And it's because you've been put into an institution. And we participate in the joy, in the very beauty, in the very goodness of the Lord. We're satisfied in Christ and we give Him satisfaction. We please Him. And the church embodies Jesus our Savior. Through the Holy Spirit, we can see that Christ is present and we are marching on as the church militant as we battle every day. And we are ultimately, and we are even now, the church triumphant as we have victories and there will be an ultimate triumphant victory when that King comes back for His bride on the white horse and we ride with Him. And we spend the rest of eternity with our Lord and Savior as we see Him as He is and we're like Him. Is that beautiful? The Word of God has proclaimed to us the grand privileges that we can't imagine without Him. Father, thank You for this Word again. My, what beauty we have seen in a day that seems so ugly out in the world. It's so sinful. Yet we we see beautiful things in creation. But yet we see something more beautiful. We see the very source of beauty. God Himself. Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit residing in the church. So when we look at the church, we love the church. We, We love each individual in this church. And we want to see them be able to magnify You more. For that will help us magnify You more. In Your Son's glorious name, Amen.
these are emblems of beauty. Have you come forward to partake of these beautiful elements that God has instituted? You know what? We are the only people, I mean the church, the universal body of Christ, the only people that really do this. Now there can be cults or such that might take some kind of communion or whatever, but to the true Lord, we're the only ones really that know what this means. And course, when we proclaim his death, we now can make it known to those. And you look at this and you go, it's rather plain. You're holding a something that looks like a cracker in your hand. And that's pretty well everyday kind of material and grape juice. But we see, not with our eyes here, but spiritually, we're seeing something very beautiful because we're seeing the death of Christ because of these elements. Now, we know the depth and the manifold wisdom that all comes out of this, but now we focus upon just the death right now. Just the death, because come Friday is Good Friday. It's only good because that's the day that He died, and it was His death that takes away our sins. And that is why it is called Good Friday. You might have people might ask that, say, well, isn't that the day that they killed Christ and murdered Him, put Him up on the cross, the worst way to die? And you say, yes, it was. You're absolutely right. But it's good because you too can have your sins taken away. <coughs> it is a good thing that He did that. Because of that, now we have our sins forgiven. We have righteousness of Christ put on us. And we wear that righteousness. And so there we talk about His death. 
just want you to take just a few moments. You think of his death. You think of your sin. Confess your sin. Lord, we remember. We remember You. You are the stone of remembrance. These elements are ways to help us remember. The violent death that You bore on the cross. But what was really violent was the sins that were put upon you. My sins were put on you at that time. That totally amazes me and all of us and that you took that for us so that we could become beautiful in your eyes and be built up into this magnificent church that you're building and help us to realize the payment for this building took your life and you were willing to do it to satisfy the Father the Father is absolutely pleased and now as we take these elements we praise you and thank you for this time that we've had with your people And may we be beautiful to you today as we have come together. And may what we do here with these elements, may what we do with the Word of God that we looked at today, may uh, the Scriptures that we have read, the songs that we have sung, the praises that we have read, shouted out, may they go up to you with a sweet-smelling aroma. You are beautiful, Lord. In Jesus' name. Uh, let's see. Got a got a prayer for you. Keep in keep in mind. Um, there is um, ministry that uh, Luke, Connie were um, telling me about this morning. That um, Luke has already kind of shared it with us. You have a name for this ministry? Presbyterian. Huh? You guys get that? You go, huh? <laughs> it's dealing with being Presbyterian as to Second uh, Timothy 4.14 where the laying on of hands is really the training of pastors. Um, and one of the qualifications is that I require is that these pastors are disciple makers before they become pastors. And so for six months they are trained to be disciple makers and then they go into the training of being a pastor. And that has all developed out of knowing um, Fred, because he has some other pastors that are taking the gospel out. They've not been trained, know very little, 
And there's a way that we can help them. First of all, it starts with prayer because this is a spiritual thing. And they're going into places where they have different kind of worships and they have... Uh, they actually believe in the, where they're at that you can uh, men are to have multiple wives, and many pastors believe that. Yeah. Uh, Fred had to separate from that kind of thought, and so that's why he's out on his own doing that. He's not on his own, but so first of all, be praying for them. We we, we pray for Sergey and the ministry there. Now we might have another one that we might be able to support um, that could be very helpful. Keep uh, uh, Fred in mind with these other pastors because uh, now Luke has a chance to be able to give them good, sound theology, which is the same theology we all believe in, and they're going to get stronger as they take it out to other people we don't even know. And so if you have an everyday contact with him, he is hungry as can be. One thing I want us to do is be praying and thinking about how can we help them in a way that, you know, prayer is the biggest, but is there something else we can do? Um, Luke has brought up the fact that he could use a computer, they could use a computer, so that Luke could be with them uh, not only one-on-one now, but with other ones as they would come together under that one computer to be able to take this as, as a class, as they would gather and meet and to develop those guys. And that would be through Skype, which um, Frida uses, has used constantly, and Penny, and they used to talk together every day when you guys lived in Michigan. And you can do that across the world. And so we have a class that's right here that's sending the message over to them. And they're getting what we have here every Sunday morning and every Wednesday. And uh, Luke will be doing most of that, but uh, you've, you've asked me if I can give you a little yeah. bit of a hand right. doing uh, whatever, uh, some teaching or whatever it, it takes to do that. So what, what we'll do is we'll take, uh, not this week, but starting maybe next week, we'll, we'll take an offering that's set apart from the other offering that we have. And we'll pass it around. We'll do that for the next few weeks. Keep praying about it. Uh, we'll give you more information on these guys to see how legitimate they are. And we'll give you a full report. And if this could be something that we could do, that computer uh, with everything that they need, and then a, a, an actual a, a dish that they can have to receive a satellite signal to, to get Internet and such and be able to send the, the picture back and forth. I have a PowerPoint presentation for... Uh, show the, uh, the ministry there and also the church. It, I have pictures of um, the assembly. Um, I have pictures of those that he has started. He has started a backyard um, church in, the, in his backyard. And, uh, and then he has uh, he is looking at five, there's 48 fishing sites in, in Bondo. And he's looking at five of them starting churches in these different five sites. And, uh, uh, you know, this guy is incredible. He's just always wanting to get out and spread the gospel. And, uh, what I want to do is show him how, what is the truth of the gospel. And already I've been teaching him the sovereignty of God, and he has really grasped 
Constant. He never had heard of the doctrine of the day race, what, three weeks ago? He never heard of it. Never. Never heard of the election. Uh, and so he's given a multitude of questions to answer him. And while I'm answering him, he's sending more questions. Uh, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute, let me just answer this one. And, and all that. So, so I think it's really going to be exciting for me to uh, be on Skype and to watch these men's expressions and to be able to just go back and forth to be able to, just like a classroom. To an, and to answer questions or whatever it is, but questions. be able to teach that to them right. in a formal way and yet then be one-on-one with them in that thing. And this is going to press pure in college for pastors and it'll be two years training. Um, the material has already been developed by um, Dr. Um, Kurgan, uh, Richard Kurgan, Dr. Richard Kurgan, and I have edited a lot of that um, by his blessings. And uh, so the material is already ready, and all I have to do is supplement. Um, it's great material. Uh, so it's the purpose that this material was developed was for pastors. And I've had it sitting on the shelf for years and years and years. And I thought, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff. And then here God just opens the door and I say, oh, that's what I'm going to do with it. It's amazing God, how God does things. You know? Great thank, place you. You just don't, you just don't know what's going on. You know? So I'm saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And God says, here it is. Open door. <laughs> It's great. It'd be great one of these days if we could maybe uh, do a visual part of our church and show our yeah. worship or give a He's little glimpse of it. He's asked me questions about this church. And uh, he's, he's, also, he's also said, please tell your, please tell your people Thank you, and thank you for your prayers, and I hope to see them someday. You know, well, maybe they will. People take pictures, and I send it to them, so you can see that this is the church. Fantastic. So, there is something to pray about. Make a commitment to pray about it. You know, and if the Lord lays on our heart to uh, to give in the in the next few weeks, that we can at least get up to a point that's manageable, that we could actually get them this computer that that, is, that they can have there. If we sent something there, it's going to cost buku bucks. Hundreds and hundreds of bucks that it, it can cost to send stuff over that far. So it's something they can get. We want to make, sh- make you sure that you know that, hey, they're getting it and these guys are for real and um, that's, that's what we want to do. So anyway, I, I think it's uh, something to be start, start with really prayer on it. And uh, see what we can do financially. Just being a little church, I know that's that's difficult. And see how the church can can help in that way. Wouldn't it be something if you could see those men taking that to other people and seeing other churches started? And we're a big part of it. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, what what enough to? What country is he in? What country? This is Bondo, Kenya. Kenya. All right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Hey Bob, can you close us and we go? Yeah. Yes. Oh yes, 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 please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, her her dad actually had um Friday night we were gonna have videos and on Friday her dad actually had a stroke. We didn't know it at the time, nobody knew, but there was bleeding on the brain. And um 
he uh, was taken up to Columbia at Boone Hospital. It's on Friday and Saturday. It looks like um, there's a lot of, of course, I think there's a lot of tests to do yet, uh, but he's definitely not himself. At times, it seems like he's doing okay, and then all of a sudden, he uh, is ready to, to, to fight if somebody wants to, to help him. and um, just, uh, He just wants to take off real quick and, and just get out of the room and, and go. He thinks he's at his house and he's in the hospital. So we don't know what's all going with the brain there, whether there has been some really major damage or he's just trying to recover. Um, but um, definitely keep uh, his his name in, in, in mind and in prayer. What's your dad's name? Gabriel Walton. Gabriel? Mm-hmm. Gabriel Walton. Thanks for uh, The whole family, it's going to be quite... I have nine siblings, and maybe one of them might be a believer out of that, and how they handle stuff gets kind of hairy. Yeah. A lot of uh, backbiting has already started with all this. And stuff. Mm-hmm. And Dad, we don't even know what's going on with Dad yet, and stuff like that. But he seems to be out of his mind, really. And it's quite concerning. Yeah. A lot of tension there with many kinds of people. Father, we, uh, we lift up these prayer requests. Um, Carolyn's father and her family, uh, welcome family. Uh, Lord, we just commend them to you and to your care, uh, to your purposes, for your glory. Uh, Lord, uh, do a work in the family that uh, somehow the polarization of uh, the attention that's drawn now to Carolyn's father will uh, turn people's minds to to the Lord and that um, their longings will turn to affections for uh, knowing Jesus Christ. And uh, that, uh, Lord, your, your glory will be shown in all of this. Um, Comfort the family, um, and uh, Lord, may uh, may you give Carolyn and Dennis wisdom to uh, continue to minister with uh, their relatives. Um, and in uh, Bondo, Kenya, Lord, we uh, we pray that your glory will be seen, uh, and we pray for wisdom that uh, our assembly here will uh, know what you desire for us to do in. Uh, assisting in ministry opportunities to spread the word, spread the gospel in Kenya uh, and that uh, Father, you would show us uh, how we may uh, look for resources and for um, connections that uh, we may also uh, find you know, a, a good way and a, a sure way of getting a computer and um, the proper materials and teaching, Bibles and um, communication between Luke and uh, Fred and these uh, men there in Kenya, Lord. Um, Father, we just thank you that you, you do provide and show us that you are working in the world. 
um, through all kinds of circumstances. And uh, you you work in the sweet and the sour, and uh, we just uh, want to be a part of that, Lord. And um, you know, enliven us in you. Uh, show us more of your glory, Lord. Um, uh, help us to remember uh, the gospel and to live it out in our lives, uh, to shine as lights in the world. And uh, Father, may you uh, also minister by your Spirit to uh, all of those uh, here today and those who are not here in our assembly that uh, have uh, longings and uh, have uh, thoughts on their minds and their lives, things that they're going through. Uh, Lord, may you bring comfort and uh, answers, uh, convictions, and um, consolation to folks uh, with all of the spoken and unspoken uh, prayers that we have. Because we we have no way to take care of any of this without your help. And so we ask for your help. We plead for your help. And we mm-hmm. thank you that you are our helper mm-hmm. all the time. Okay. You are good, Lord. Mm-hmm. Praise you in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, be thankful for the. We have another outreach that's right here in our church. Some young people get really good teaching from Zach and thankful for Rebecca there as they minister to our young people every week. Yeah. So, uh, boy, that's, that's a great opportunity there, too. Yeah, it's, and it's not easy stuff. I hear, <laughs> I hear that catechism going on. That's, that's right. They really got to get the heavy stuff. That's right. That's good. I like that. Thank you.